and welcome to Joe Talks Comics. I'm your host, Joe Loves Comics, and this is the podcast where I talk with friends about the comics that have been really enjoying lately, plus occasional solo episodes and creator interviews. This episode, I welcomed Glenn Matchett from the awesome Rabbit Stew Comics podcast back to my podcast to talk about one of Glenn's favourite series and one of our favourite series that we've wandered over and that we bonded over in this episode that is Giant Days from Green Studios by you know, written by John Addison with art by Max Sarin and uh, Lisa Tryman and uh, yeah there's there's Fleming on inks and Whitney Cougar Cougar sorry on colours the various um, credits for that that series fantastic series it's so fun um, we get into it immediately but in terms of the, the size of life aspects, the, the comedy, the, the drama, the characters, the art, it's all just so fantastic. And I really enjoyed this discussion in terms of how it was a springboard for us to talk about a variety of things. Because I know when I had Glenn on the podcast back in uh, November 2022 for the October Roundup episode, that was a more general conversation where yeah, we, we we did have a more general conversation about comics, but and there are some general tangents here in this conversation, but it's it was very satisfying to always bring it back to Giant Days and to view it through the lens of Giant Days and to anchor it and focus it around that. And just in terms of we touch on a variety of things, as I've mentioned, like indie comics in general. About the differences between mini series and ongoing series, that size of life series. There's a whole spiel about uh, LGBTQ representation that we cover here. And again, just as I always mentioned about supporting indie comics. And yeah, I, I'm I'm really pleased with this discussion. I I really enjoyed uh, having it, and I hope you enjoy listening. Oh, and also this includes, well, I should say we, me and Glenn, we cover the first 24 issues of the series. So. We'll come back to do the rest at some point, so this is just part one, but I'm looking forward to covering the rest of the series in a, in a part two when we when Glenn and I have read it. So, yeah, that's I think that's all I've got to say for this intro, so I hope you enjoy, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. So, Glenn, welcome back to the podcast. It's so good to have you back. I know we both enjoyed when we recorded last time so i'm glad i got you back to talk about one of our favorite comics giant days glad to be back thank you so much for having me um i know that people would probably prefer to have uh kelly thompson back but you'll have to do with me <laughs> yeah so i, I guess but before we start we should uh, introduce the series and just like a brief synopsis if people haven't heard of it already yeah uh so do, do you want to go take the lead on that or uh, i don't mind yeah uh, well, I'll go over it a bit. So, Giant Days is a boom. It's a book from Boom. Uh, back before they were kind of the more significant player in the in the main comic scene that they are now. Um, and this is a book by uh, John Allison, uh, written by John Allison and drawn initially by Lisa Treyman and then uh, later drawn by Max Sarin. And it is a comic set in Britain about three girls at university and it's basically about their their lives and how they are the 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 victims of many 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 misadventures uh the often the sort of the best laid plans constantly going awry 
and their lives kind of being hilarious disasters but it's kind of very heartwarming and uh very charming and it's a very unique book i i I don't think i've ever really read a comic quite like it before um but it's kind of very very to me it's very british and and i'm quite uh, surprised it's had the success uh, across the pond in america that it has had because it is so kind of that british kind of dry humor so and surrealist humor yeah definitely there's so many pages as you're just reading it i I know as i've read the first like 24 issues that it's just multiple times laughing out loud on every page every panel every issue every volume there's just so much to laugh at and especially it's one of those series which i find is always very entertaining when even when you just see panels out of context it's still work and they're still as funny and it just always makes me laugh and smile yeah i mean it, it's com- humor in comics can be surprisingly hard we can take it for granted uh i think how funny how hard it is to be funny in comics because there is a lot of really enjoyable funny comics but yeah you're you you've nailed it on the head this you you can you will laugh multiple times per issue and there's a gag nearly on every page and sometimes it's very subtle and sometimes it's right in your face and you can like just uh post a, a random page or panel and it's funny on its own which is very hard to do it the, the book is a minor miracle in in a, in, in a couple of ways yeah and it's interesting i didn't know too much of this when i first started reading it and i'm only just finding out that so i should say i knew a while ago it was originally a six issue series that was then extended into an ongoing and what mm-hmm. i've just found out literally just now is that it wasn't extended to an ongoing immediately it was first like intermittently extended to 12 issues and then an ongoing which i, I thought was interesting just now i think it's i think it's a book that really find a significant life in collections collection heaven mm-hmm. as i call it um where people would go into like apparently it's a big hit in libraries which was the main reason for the kickstarter which we can talk about um that people would find it in in trades and that that's probably why it it, and again such a it had such great critical acclaim It, it won an eisner for best ongoing series at least once that's kind of what got my attention to it um to really pay, pay more attention to what it was uh so yeah it it, it 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 sort of defied the odds because there's nothing really in here that is kind of like what you would think is kind of a comic that would be a sales success it's a it's a creator owned there's no kind of big supernatural or otherworldly hook there's no uh there's no kind of your batmans or spidermans or that these are all original characters they're all just ordinary people doing ordinary things but it's such a massive success and so well thought of yeah and i think it speaks to what i've talked about a couple of times on this podcast before especially the strange academy and sweet paprika episode where with, with davy jones where it sort of ended up being a more general conversation about I love of slice of life comics focusing on those two. Yeah, and I think that's a definitely the perfect sort of way to describe this series. Is that it is just simply a very slice of life, very comedic, very light. But it's it doesn't lack substance in that sense. It's still got loads of heart and loads of just great, great characters, and it, it just is so entertaining. And I think it is sort of a testament to how you can 
have that comedy and that slice of life aspect, but without sacrificing any sort of drama or tension, you just have to work out um, that it's just like the character drama, it's the personal drama that's represented on the page. Yeah, agreed, a hundred percent. I think yeah, there there is a lot of moments of heaviness in the book, and there is some serious topics on display. Um, just in this first kind of batch that we're talking about today, which is as far as we've both read, there's like issues with um people being you know having to deal with relationship problems and you know uh kind of issues with struggling with education and um issues with having to deal with coming out uh, as an lgbtq plus person and oh you know there's there is a lot here it's not just comedy 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 there's the these characters of such depth and such life to them you, can, you can't help but like adore them to bits uh, but whenever they you do have these quieter sadder moments it means so much more yeah and i think it's interesting to note that the way i read it was in single issues and we we can get a bit more into how we dis- discover the series in, in a moment, but it was one of those things where over last summer I just ended up picking up the first trade, and then my my local comic book store had most of the trades for the series. It obviously stopped them and maybe not not being bought, or maybe they had been bought and they'd restocked them or whatever. So I was just all picking them up and and just enjoying them. And my my point being is that each volume was only four issues, which Lots of the others or trades I've ever experienced, whether maybe five issues at least or six, like a full arc, especially with like superhero comics and the like these days. So mm-hmm. to have something that's four issues and still feel like I'm getting my money's worth, still like I'm feeling like it's packed full of content. And of the volumes I've read so far, maybe like six, five or six, it, none of them feel like I was like cheaped out or anything. I, I, it feels well worth it. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're just such an easy uh, joy to read that you just breeze through an issue because they're just so much fun and there's so much life to them. Um, And I do think Boom has a good way of kind of making these all-ages comics affordable. These are the comics that you try to get people to kind of get into that maybe have uh, an image in their mind about what comics are. And you go, wait, there's there's so much more. There's there's books like this. Because this is not... Like, whenever I started reading comics, which is uh, probably longer ago than you've been alive, <laughs> um, you, um, you, I had never imagined I could read a comic that's like this. And that's what I think is part of what makes Giant Day so special and what really resonates with people about, uh, around it as well. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah, and I just remembered what I was going to say about when you mentioned about the life it found in libraries and collected formats. Um, earlier, I just searched Giant Days into Twitter to hopefully find some panels to sort of get me in the mindset. And interestingly, the top um, tweet was <clears throat> something from the writer about uh, no, ten days or so, um, saying about the comicsology problems on the day after which is a whole discussion in itself. But basically saying that he doesn't think Giant Days would have survived in single issues without those comicsology sales or those digital sales. And the I think I think it is definitely an, an interesting conversation about the comics that aren't necessarily like selling a hundred thousand copies in single issues, but still have a very dedicated and profitable audience that will just keep on reading and is very attached to the characters and their stories well i think i think giant days really benefits from word of mouth a lot 
like people like you, me, and uh, obviously there's a lot of people on Twitter that sing this comic's uh, praises to the sky. And so, like, eventually people will say, want to, just, just out of curiosity, they'll want to, they, like, it's uh, like what I call the, the, the squid game effect. I just made that up. Where you just hear people talking about it and talking about it, and oh, it's great, it's great, it's great, and you're like, well, I have to watch it just to, it's, it's FOMO, it's, it's FOMO, uh, to, and you can't help yourself but be curious as to why people are drawn to this one thing, and you, you know, you read the, um, you read the the description, you read the, um, you read kind of the, um, you kind of look at the art and. You realize, hey, there's no superheroes in here, um, and it's just kind of like I don't get. It's it's hardly, and you think, why this book can't be as good as people think it is, and then you read it, and then it is. Yeah, and it is something interesting about the the characters and how they're sort of simple but effective in terms of the, the situations and the. It's it's something that's very relatable. I mean, we've all being teenagers i mean especially if you're like british and english and not necessarily but it, like you sort of said earlier it doesn't it ugh, it definitely has that sort of british english feel with the the university and which is something that was always fun for me to see reading through the volumes i have as someone who's obviously read a lot of american comics with marvel and dc and all the american indie creators which are again all fantastic but just a different perspective and a different um yeah it's just fun to see i think we can all identify with the the girls who are the main although there's 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 a big cast here it, it isn't just about the three girls but um we can all identify with that period in our lives where we're kind of realizing we have to be adults and we've kind of we want to be we want to be grown ups when we're kids, and then because we think, oh, when we're grown ups, it'll all be great, and we sort of get to that point in our lives when, oh wait, grown ups don't have it all figured out, uh, and we're just everyone's just making it up as they go along. Whenever you there's there's that point in your life where you kind of realize that, and I think that's what this book is about. These girls are uh, sort of uh, grow, becoming adults uh, before our eyes. Um, and they're just trying to figure. They're trying to just make figure out life as they go, like we all are, and and that's hugely relatable because that's that's experience that everyone has. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if I um, sort of explicitly mentioned it just now, but not to age you or anyone, but as someone who's like going through that phase of my life, living through it right now at university, recording this. At, just at, at university away from home and re- realizing that everyone is just so, the same as they always were not necessarily like the same as they always were in terms of people who don't grow and change but just the fact mm-hmm. that there's no like um mystical things you learn as you get older and it, it might sound cliche but it, it is very true because just that sort of realization is like oh it's like people just, just get older there's, there's like there's not much else to it like and it's an oversimplification yeah. again but that just, is we just don't we're just all making it, you know, I said, um, whenever we had our kids, our, our first, our first kid, um, someone said to me, like, no one really knows how to raise a kid. We're all just making it up as we go along. And it, that's exactly what it is. Like even your parent, you might, you might think my parents were good parents. They knew what they were doing on. They didn't. They just tried to pretend. And that's all it is. It's just pretending that, you know, what you're doing, and hoping that you do enough of a good job that you can go, yep, 
That's how I planned it all along. And that's kind of what Giant Days is in a nutshell. These girls going through disaster to disaster and then it kind of all working out in the end and going, yep, I meant it like that. And, and that's there's something wonderful in that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was like especially funny when the the three of them, the three characters, were doing things like looking for a house for their second year. And I, mm. I was reading this last summer when, like, like at the start of that year, uh, I was like, looking for a house myself um, for my second year. And it, it is like, whoa. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's absolutely, you don't, like, whatever you're living at home, you just, you, even when you're older, like a teenager, you don't realize all the horrible things that come with property ownership or property renting. Uh, it's just like a whole other world and it, and it's terrifying. And it's just whatever that first hits you, because no one tells you this stuff, really. People like can tell you, try to be responsible, try to save, blah, 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 blah. But no, you can't quite prepare. That's something you kind of have to experience for yourself. That horrible kind of moment of dread when it's like, oh God, no, I'm responsible now. Um, and the book captures moments like that perfectly. It really does. And I don't really know. Like It's hard to quantify how... I mean, Alison and Saren are such a great creative team. They they blend so well together. And they really... like Alison's writing is brilliant. But Saren's art and their skill with facial expressions and body language and stuff like that... It, it just makes the it just gives the book that exact feeling it needs to be as good as it is without that skill of writing and art uh working together this book wouldn't be half as good as it is you it's it's just everything has just been everyone's been in the right place for this book to be as good as it is it's quite astounding yeah and I think to be honest there there were some scenes where you could take the the dialogue out and You'd be you'd be missing context, but it might not be just at might, might not be just as funny, but I think it would still be funny in some senses just because of the slapstick nature of it. And again, not in like a silly or like ridiculous way, but just just like incredibly entertaining and just real. Yeah, and Saren's Saren's art is so good, and their ability to I mean, and nothing take taking away from the initial artist uh, and John Allison as well, who drew um, kind of the prequel book um, as well. Um, their ability to do the body language stuff and be able to do the, the, the visual comedy is not something every artist can do. It's, it's, it's really hard, but they just do it so well and they make, and they make it look easy. Yeah. I mean, it is just incredible how expressive the, our work is from like the facial expressions to the like the backgrounds and like the settings and like, like even... their outfits and yeah the, 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 everything like these characters have to wear very different clothing like every issue like multiple times every issue it's not like have they kind of have a stock look that you can just change the color here and there and they're just kind of dressed most of the same to make life a bit easier they wear very different clothing uh distinct to their own personalities which is something to be really admired um but i remember i think it's in like the first because i read these in hardcover the first hardcover which would be the first or second trade um esther's like complaining about um kind of being stood up and she says something like he can get all this for free and she holds up her chest 
and it's just this great moment of of visual comedy that's just like just the just the in like some other books it might come across as like eh I'm not too sure if that's a, like appropriate or that but just because it just it just seems such a real uh kind of identifiable moment uh even though neither of us are, are women uh I don't know it's it's hard to describe but moments like that are just like like this is the like when I was reading for the first time like this this looks great yeah I mean on the new comic geeks, which I sort of talk about multiple times on these episodes, but as I was reading them, I left reviews for each of the trades, and I, I didn't really have anything new to say for each one without just sort of describing what happened, so each one consisted of, I'm really writing this review to hopefully remind at least one person that this series exists, and you should go check it out, because it's delightful. So if you want something delightful, you need to read this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this. there's so many comics out there that are heavy, um like horror is the number two thing in comics at the moment um and i love horror and but it can be very oppressive and life's oppressive enough <laughs> sometimes you just want to read something that is a bit more lighthearted and easy and then you can just this this book and reading it is almost like spending time with friends and i know mm. that's probably a bit weird to say about fictional characters but it, it really does have that sort of feeling of familiarity and like you're 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 kind of spending that time with these people that you can really care for and identify with and and the you characters you enjoy spending time with is really again a really hard thing to try to capture and and this book again makes it look very very easy yeah and i think like you were saying about horror and that as a genre and how it compares, I think it just speaks to the variety and breadth that is out there with indie comics, especially when, like, we both love Marvel and DC and all the many, many characters on display there, but then to create new characters and to create them from the ground up and make the reader, like, invested in them without any sort of background or, and just to make them feel as, like, real and relatable as they are, as we've talked about it, and it's a skill that is just incredible. Yeah, I think like this is a, a much larger conversation, but I think that there really is a comic book out there for everyone. There's a comic for every taste, and even if it's something that you know, because there's a lot of obviously issues these days about people moaning about, oh, you know, comics are too quote unquote. I won't say the word because I hate the word. It's very lazy criticism. Um, and there, there are those comics out there that will cater for that. They are like that are stuck in like thirty years ago. If you want to, if you want to read those comics, they are out there. Um, and but then there's like these kind of lighthearted comedy books. There's superheroes, westerns, horror. Uh, there's like uh, what do you one of them is it like uh, sort of um, Victorian era kind of stuff there's everything is out there it, it, it is a great time to be a comic fan there's so much choice um you sometimes have to look for it unfortunately um but it is all out there yeah and i think it, it is just nice to see that where even if you uh, i guess this all goes back to my point about indie comics where if there's uh, a particular comic that you're not interested in at the moment where if like your big two run and your favorite character isn't quite interesting to you at the moment, then I can guarantee almost that there'll probably be uh, another book out there 
hopefully maybe an indie book that will interest you and excite you and and maybe fill that yeah. gap for you, if only temporarily, because there is just so much out there. So many people get frustrated by the big two, and I certainly am one of them. But there's, like, a, a, especially with representation, uh, the bit neither Marvel or DC are particularly good at it. But, like, uh, Indies, Image, Boom, uh, Dark Horse, uh, IDW, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are murdering the big two in terms of representation. Mm-hmm. Um look at this book this book has a a gay lead character um and it it's just that's just one character in one book there's but there's so many great great indie books that are giving that representation because they are by creators of color or um they are part of the lgbtq plus community or or whatever um, that that maybe can't get a voice at the big two for whatever reason, but then they are able to get that and find great success of that in indie comics, and it's wonderful to see. It, it really is. Um, um, but the, the, I think because of the choice that's out there, and the, the people are more open to trying new things. So, like whenever they hear about a comic like this, that's like about not really anything in particular just it's just a fun book about these really relatable and interesting characters they'll go oh yeah i'll give this i'll give this a go why not and it's very hard not to love this book really from the really from the first i was about to say the first issue but really the the first few pages is instantly you're already hooked the book grabs you quite quickly and, and never lets go um I I'm very excited to read the rest of the series whenever I get the um Kickstarter reward that I uh, opted in for whenever they did like the library edition funding um last year. Yeah, that was interesting to see because I'd I'd heard about before I started reading the series, I'd heard about the hardcovers and I was like, oh, that's a shame. And then of course, eventually last year, I just ended up breaking down and reading the trades, starting buying the trades, which uh, are both nice, uh, nice on their own. So, I mean, hardcovers aren't for everyone, and that that Kickstarter was to get the the book in libraries, uh, and that is a key thing. That is that that's what I'm really liking at the moment, and it's something that I think DC's investing in a bit more than Marvel is that these books for people that can read them in libraries, like DC's put out some fantastic work in their um, OGNs in the last couple of years, um, particularly from diverse creators telling diverse stories, and that these are the stories that are going to be more appealing in libraries or in bookstores, and it's great to see. And and Giant Days will be definitely one of those uh, as well. There is something really cool and really beautiful about how indie comics... Um, include, as we've sort of talked about, and how they can have representation. I mean, just from Boombox alone, I'm thinking of like Wind, Mamo, which sort of both have like queer main characters and romances. And mm. again, not even mentioning Giant Days with its own gay lead character. So it is just something that's really special to me, especially with the often lackluster attempts if there are any attempts at all with the big two despite how much they seem to try or it's tough it's a a complicated situation well i don't know if you've i mean this like a book like this would not last 70 issues at marvel or dc because both companies are fear high numbers um but um 
This is a very similar book to a book called Lumberjanes. I don't know if you've read that. No, but uh, I do want to eventually. Oh uh, well, I read the first. I've read the first hardcover last year, and it was brilliant. And it's very similar vibe, but it is very big into representation there as well, and that's Boombox as well. And so again, this is Boom is killing it with regards to that kind of uh, setup. And I, I think there was another series James Tinian did, the Backstagers, uh, was Boombox as well. Oh yeah, I read the first volume of that. I need to read the second. So, so again, these are creators, like, I, I don't know about John Allison, but obviously Max Aaron is non-binary. Um, uh, one of the big uh, creative minds behind uh, Lumberjanes is Nate Stevenson, who is trans uh, and... Uh, also, there is um, uh, obviously the writer of Wind and um, Backstagers, James Tinian, is uh, bi or gay. I, I, I know he's dating a, a man, but I don't know if he's bi or gay. But either way, um, so these, these are creators that are making these comics that they maybe didn't see when they were growing up and want to give that to readers now, which I, I think is brilliant. Yeah, I mean, because I remember there was... I, I still think in my journey into collecting comics in several phases and not to get too off track but there's like the period of time before I got into single issues where it was just I was just ordering trades about Marvel events I'd heard of and like the New 52 Flash and other things and then I started collecting single issues and, and then a couple of years later after that and sort of late 2020 when I got into like indie comics and that sort of mm. I mean I, I say indie comics I'm still only majorly reading Image and like some booms, so I've still got a while to go, and uh, the others, other publishers like RDW and so many. But my my point being that I think I I, I think the written work by Tinian must have been some of my first exposure to that sort of representation with like, some, yeah. like something that's Killing the Children number one, where like James is just like a casually game like sort of side character, um, and then when I first read that like, Department of Truth number one. It's like, oh, cool, he's got a husband. It's like, it's just, just there. It's just, it's just there. And um, I think, yeah. I think again, not to get too off track, but I think there's a, it brings me to a very different sort of distinction and line between making it, making it like just there in, uh, in like quotes, but also not, not making it too like bland or like empty. Because it's it's I like the I, I I see exactly what you're getting at. I mean, I remember way back in the day, uh, whenever they were introducing Kate Kane as Batwoman, mm-hmm. um, in the uh, just before the New Fifty Two, um, and it was it was a big thing that she was gay, and Dan Didio had like an interview where he like into described her as like a high heel wearing lipstick, no high heel wearing lipstick ass kicking lesbian and it's just like you go back it's like no do not want uh, it's weird um but and, and they sort of had this big press release and it was just it's like look we're we're giving you a gay woman give us a give us our one ticker tit uh, parade please whereas it just just the normalization of these relationships and these people are key just to have it just be there and it's just there and it's just not it, it's it's addressed so that people feel seen which is very important you don't want to treat it like it's no big deal because it is important that these things are seen uh and these these people are represented but it's not like 
I feel sometimes the the big companies want they 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 are more interested than like in the headlines than actually doing it for people that maybe don't see themselves in the comics they're reading. Uh, whereas in an indie book, they just have a casual like gay couple, and it's there. I was like, yay, that I am seeing my community in this comic. That is fantastic. And then you can move on with your life. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to like dwell on it. And the, co- the, the company isn't making a huge deal out of it. It just is. And I think that's, and again, this is coming from an outsider. So feel free to correct me. I think that's much better. And it just feels more genuine as well. So what I was going to say, I don't know if maybe Paradox or Catch-22, if those are the right sort of expressions or phrases, but that's what comes to mind for me in a sense, because we're in that awkward sort of situation where things are improving. There's still a lot of a lot of way to go, but things are improving. Yeah. So now we're at the point where there's, there's some um, queer LGBTQ plus characters, but it's a bit of a problem because there's there's not enough that it's like fully normalized but no. it's like it sort of becomes a point where i guess what i'm saying is it still generates headlines so then even if they because I, I remember tom taylor and I, I have lots of thoughts about son of Kalal and tom taylor but um it, it made me it was always interesting when i read about how he was sort of saying, oh, well, like, we didn't want it to be a big deal. It was just sort of a, a, a kiss scene in the in the sixth issue, or the fifth issue, I think. And it was like, we just wanted to make it like normalised and such and such. Which is, on, so on one hand, that, that's fine. That I, I, I respect that and admire that. But then the problem comes in when, I, I think it was scheduled like around the coming out day. It was like a big promotion. So it was mm. like a big thing. And... It's of course generated lots of headlines, especially when things because recently uh, Tim Drake also came out as bi, so there was lots of oh Superman's come out as bi, Robin's come out of bi, come out as bi, taken out of context deliberately or accidentally because people didn't know the full context. And despite in, despite original intentions, it still generates those headlines because even if you try to make it sort of normalized. If you just try to make it like just a thing, then it still generates those headlines and sort of ties yeah. into what I was uh, getting at a, a moment ago before you last last time I spoke. When I think sometimes um, I can't think of any other examples off the top of my head, but it is also possible to over overcompensate. It's maybe the word I was looking for. Where and yeah. again, if if you like Son of Cal now, then obviously to reach their own and all that that's that's fine i i always just always respect um other people's like, opinions and tastes because that's just your business but i don't want to feel patronized mm, per- personally it, it almost feels so overcompensated to the point where it, it's not even interesting as a romance i remember thinking yeah. with, with john and jay if it was a if it was a straight romance if one of them was like, like a woman or a girl it, it like it wouldn't be interesting it, it doesn't automatically make it interesting because it's the, guys. yeah and I, I don't know if you know what i'm thinking of but you know there's like a penguins meme like the penguins of madagascar where like <laughs> there's like there's like a caption and then the um like the text below is like we did it guys so and so is no more and then again, not not to be sort of mean or, or anyway. I'm sure I'm sure he's a great guy, but it sort of gave me vibes of 
when he, he does that and he makes them kiss and then it, it feels very surface level not even from a representation standpoint just as a like a romance it doesn't feel very compelling as a as like a, as a romance or as a relationship but just a bit like oh like we made them kiss and like, we did it homophobia yeah. is no more I, like, like yeah, it's, it's, and, the, and the, i the think good, good times are here yeah and not to rant for too much longer but i know some people refer to some writers as like two online and two on Twitter and trying to do things for Twitter points. And I think there's a lot of valid criticism there where there are like bigots and homophobes that they're going to complain about representation, whatever, whatever it is, like whether they're just kissing or much more, or whether it's good or bad or they don't care. So just to like include uh, a gay romance in there and then just have it like not even be interesting as just a romance in general. And then, like generating the publicity and everything, and, and then feeling like you can just sort of own the the those like the bigots and things. Which I mean, I, I'm all for like owning bigots and etc. And, and feeling like yes. they can like win in quotes about or, like threatening things. But when when it's just ultimately fruitless, when it, when it doesn't produce something that's at least in my opinion that's compelling or exciting or feels faithful to people that it's sort of supposed to be representative of. And again, like everybody. It's different. I, I'm not going to speak for um, a, a, anyone else that may or not feel representative or may have their own opinion, may like it like me, may dislike it like me, I mean, or may like it. It, it. That's not to say that I dislike it because it doesn't reflect my personal experience or what I personally wanted because you do get people like that sometimes and that's, that's not what I'm saying. So I, I think it's just careful not to overcompensate. Like I mentioned, that's probably the, the thesis of that little rant is that it's important to make it notable but not yeah. too notable so to normalize it but then don't overcompensate so it's so subtle that it's not interesting and it's a very fine balance to walk no yeah well i i i mean i could only comment on this stuff as an outsider as an ally i mean i hit the kind of genetic jackpot as i as, as i am white straight and cis um, so I, I I hit the genetic lottery, uh, as it were. Every I'm everywhere. Um, everywhere I look, there's me. Oh God, why? Uh, so like so many glands. There's so many glands. So uh, but I I just like can only comment this as an outsider and what I want. This is the this I'm I'm I think about like the world I want my kids to like grow up in, and like I have so many friends in like communities and stuff uh that i want that feels uh, feels so frustrated um month after month after month uh and i and i feel for them like i obviously can't understand fully but i feel like the frustration that they feel so i get where you're coming from 100 percent. i i don't think you need to quantify or justify your feelings i think that you're making an an excellent point Mm. yeah i guess maybe a good point to pivot slightly back to the series more specifically okay. and i know we sort of mentioned earlier it might i can't remember whether it was earlier before we started recording about just maybe saying a bit about how we sort of came across the series and how we discovered it and started reading it yeah to go first yeah so i don't remember where i saw the, the first thing i i rem, first memory i have is giant days is the image of the first the cover of the first trade the yellow first trade, but that's a very striking color. That's not so it catches your eye uh, of Esther sitting on the floor, and I was like, 
Uh, and I remember looking, and I don't remember how long ago this was. Uh, I just have a very distinct memory of looking at the kind of cover and going, huh, this girl looks cool. And like looking at it and like I was still very much in my superheroes only um, kind of phase of reading comics. So I kind of looked at it and go, hmm. This, this looks like a very different comic and I put it down and never thought about it again. And then I remember the year it co-won uh, Best Ongoing at the Eisners. I can't remember what it won with, but it, it, it was it, it. It was this and something. It was a Giant Days and something else. But anyway, and um, it was like, oh, um, I've never heard of this. And then I was like, oh, wait, I recognize that cover. And I kind of read what it was about. And I was starting to really expand my reading beyond Marvel, DC and Image. And I thought, this book sounds great. And I saw that there was hardcovers, which I'm a big sucker for. Mm. And I thought, I'll get the first hardcover and I'll read it. And that was it. I And I, I, I uh, kind of fell in love with it right away. It was just exactly my type of humor my type of vibe and around the same time that um i started reading this i was making more friends on twitter um and there was a lot of people on twitter seemingly discovering it around the same time as me i, I probably because of the eisner win people more people were coming to it because that obviously brought a lot of eyes to it and they were like hey this this series is amazing so i was kind of experienced we were kind of all experiencing it for the first time together and we were all like hey this book's great um so which i think always helps whenever there's a group of people kind of discovering something either when it first rolls out or for like uh something that maybe has been on the down low for a while or not and they a group of people kind of discover it together I think that helps a lot because it, it's kind of you can talk about it, you can you can share your your passion for it builds, and then we're kind of uh, I devoured the first one, bought the second one very quickly, and then got the third one as soon as it came out, and then I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited, and then I finally got to ask John Allison on Twitter, "Is there going to be any more?" And he was like, "No," and I sobbed. Uh, but thankfully, the the Kickstarter. It's, I I overpaid horrendously, but this book's worth it, so I don't care. No. <laughs> Excuse me. What about yourself? How did you to discover it? Yeah, I mean, first of all, sometimes that's just what you've got to do. If you, there's a series you enjoy and it means that much to you, then I know yeah. we all do that occasionally for a series we love. Yeah. So for me, I know there's there's lots of series that I've heard about over the years, especially since fully discovering uh, indie books like Image and Boom and all of those and I think my first exposure to it is uh, Anne and Reads Comics and Comics on Caroline okay. on, mm-hmm. on Twitter who's co-host of the Comics Collective podcast. When I first figured out where her profile picture was from it's it just sort of like oh well it's like that, that looks fun and then it's, it's just a, one of those series that there was, there was like a bunch of series like Invincible, Saga, Sandman, those sorts of classics. And that I was like, oh, like, I'll get to them someday. And then when I was in my like, store, as I sort of mentioned earlier, and I saw the first volume one summer week, I was like, you know what, actually, I think I think I might try this because the first volume's only, I think, I think it's slightly cheaper than the, the, the other ones. There's like an introductory price that so was even more reason to try it out and then I just like enjoyed it and just 
like read more and yeah just i read, read quite a few um of the volumes over june and july so that, that, that was a delight that's cool yeah like it is people like uh like Anne sings the praises of this book quite regularly on her twitter but and she has quite a twitter following but it is that that's exactly it it's word of mouth is i think what's going to keep this book as uh, an evergreen for boom um and again this is this book was was coming out before boom's really hit a ginormous success uh streak with books like uh, Something is Killing the Children, uh, Once in Future, and Grimm, uh, they are now pro- being able to produce books that are sell as well as, if not better, than an image book, which mm. is something that whenever Giant Day started would have been a prospect that was ridiculous. Um, so I'm glad now that Boom has more kind of notoriety and there is people constantly coming to this book that are finding out why people love it so much that are going, more people should read this. Um, I mean, there'll be people listening to this very podcast who have never heard of this book. And they will go, hey, these two guys like this. I might be liking it as well. And that's all it takes. And, you know, so it it really, these, these are the comics that really stand the test of time, the ones that get the word of mouth uh, and the constant kind of, like you say, the evergreens, that get constantly talked about year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation. This is going to be, I think, one of those comics that people go, you know, twenty years, thirty years, fifty years from now, you know, you should read, you should read Giant Days. Yeah, and it's something that thankfully feels very accessible. Whether that's like my store, I mean, just having the the trades, or just like people could just walk in and see those there and try them out, mm-hmm. or with the like the library Kickstarter, which you've mentioned a couple of times, and how they mm-hmm. get it into libraries so people can read it like that, and how they've um, carried on the, the hardcovers through that series, and there are so many just ways to sort of experience it. And I know we've touched on this a few times, but it is really incredible when an indie series of any kind, or just yeah, these days just a series, a comic series of any time, which is kind, which is fifty-four issues and goes on for. Yeah, like four or five years was it four years is that uh, mean? more than it's like 70 odd issues I think I'm just going to I think it's just 54 uh, oh yeah 54 yeah, between 19 yeah so, 15, so yeah and well and, and John Allison has you know he's doing his own he does a there this creative team did a spin-off mini and they're also doing a new mini that was just announced uh, from, I'm assuming it's been, uh, about like... Uh, I think it's Dark Horse, actually, I think I saw. Dark Horse? That's weird. Mm. But anyway, uh, the, and so it's like, it's them, I'm there, I don't care what it's about. <laughs> they, you know, yeah. uh, they literally be like, this book is about uh, the, the, the uh, benefits of road safety. I don't care. It's this creative team. I'm going to, I'm going to read it. Um... But I am curious. So this book, we've alluded to the three main characters, which are Esther, Susan, and, oh God, Daisy. Daisy, yes. Yeah. Um, Do you have a favourite? I think it really depends on the situation. It is probably between, if I I had to choose, it's probably between Esther and Daisy. I'd say depending on the situation. Yeah, no, I can see that. I mean, I think that they all have identifiable and unique personalities, but yet you can kind of see yourself 
or at least icon in each of them sometimes um like they all they all kind of oh yeah i've done that they've mm-hmm. all had they've all had at least one of those moments where it's like yeah i've been there i think that the beautiful thing about the series is they all there's no kind of weak link here like from the these main three to the supporting characters it it's one of those things like everyone's your favorite yeah <laughs> um I said the same thing. I remember when I watched uh, She Ran the Princesses of Power on Netflix for the first time, and I was reviewing season one on Rabbit Stew. Um, and it was like, it's weird to watch a show where everyone's legitimately your favorite. And and this is exactly the same. Like, there's um, obviously there's like the supporting male characters, there's guest stars um, that, that come in, um, and, and they're just, they're, every character is just wonderful they're just it's just astounding how great every aspect of the book is um but the the main three are very hard to choose between and um i don't know if you've given much thought as to what is going to happen long term in the in the series but i'm very worried that this is going to i i'm assuming that this doesn't have a really conclusive ending but it I'm worried that these three are never going to see each other after university, which is probably the most realistic scenario, but I don't want this kind of friendship to end, even though that's kind of what would probably happen in real life is they would exchange Christmas cards or birthday cards, but they would not really, they'll, they'll say, Oh, I'll, I'll see you around. And they, they never they'll speak on the phone ever so often. And that's it. And just the thought of that kind of crushes me a little bit. Um, but uh, I, these three seem like such a great trio. Um, it's hard to pick one over the other two. Yeah. And I mean, it's like the, the amount of times that my, parents have uh, talked about their university friends to each other or just dropped it into conversation and me and my sister just started to go along with it as like it's like who and then we sort of picked up on um who who they are vaguely over the years it's still a bit like just yeah just uh, and I think it's one of those things when like because I I know I had lots of friends uh, all all the way back at secondary school and just maybe maybe it's like every phase of your life like that really where you don't necessarily want to lose lose touch or lose contact, but if you don't have anything as like collectively like binding you together, you just if you don't have a reason to like stay yeah. in touch, then it just sort of naturally happens. We just drift apart, that sort of thing. And it's very sad, but the, mm. that that is what happens. Is yeah, that, uh, these girls are from different parts of the country. Um, England, England's small, but it's not that small. Um, and it, it's easy. I mean, it's I suppose it's a bit easier now because of social media and stuff, but. Even then, it's like you talk to each other every so often on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, um, and you go, yeah, yeah, we'll get lunch, and it's like, then lunch never happens, and it's just like, yeah, that that kind of thought about what might happen to these three is, uh, um, hopefully, um, I'm sure the, the the series ending is brilliant. It's one of those things I kind of don't want to end because I love it so much, and I was kind of grateful, like, whoo. I don't have to like worry about uh, this book ending because there's no hardcovers and I can take my time getting the trades. And then all of a sudden I'm going to have these three or four hardcovers land on my door and I'm like, oh no, it's there. Protect me. Save me, Joe. I think something something that just came to my mind, I think that's interesting though, is that, that it does have an ending and the sense that I know 
I'm not sure if it would have been able to sustain how much longer it would have been able to sustain itself. I mean, maybe by the time it reached 54 issues, there was enough of an audience that it could have just kept going on. But it, it is interesting how, because part of me thought, oh, well, if it's set during their time at university and it's a, say, three-year course, then that you know, guarantees uh, an eventual ending at some point. But then, and this just popped into my head because we're getting more episodes of Phineas and Ferb. But then, of course, that summer went on for forever and ever and ever. So that doesn't necessarily mean anything. So the fact that we do get to see the characters, the our three main characters grow over the course and that time does progress is, is always interesting. And there's something that, that's very interesting about indie comics in general and the the differences where they are allowed to allow the characters to progress. And mm-hmm. I, I know that's something that, that came up multiple times in the Comics Collective's coverage of Invincible across those episodes where they, they talked about and I think that's one of the most interesting examples about just that that wider discussion about comic characters growing and the differences between the big two and indie and that, that of which there are many but yeah no I don't know no I, I get where you're coming from I mean I think that you do want whenever you're reading big two comics you want the characters to kind of grow but and they do in some respects, but you maybe get a stat a major status quo change like once every like twenty years, thirty years, um, because these characters ultimately have to stay the same roughly for the next twenty or thirty years because there will be people after you that have to experience these characters and there's something very appealing to me in one way that characters like Spider Man will be here after I'm not. But then there is kind of that aspect and that appeal of reading a book like An Invincible or A Giant Days where you know you can read the start, the middle, and the end. And you get to go on a journey with these characters and then you get to like step off and they carry on, but you don't go with them. It's a very existential question and discussion and talking point. Like you sort of said about the idea of big two characters like still publishing comics and long into the future really realistic thing yeah. and because what i was thinking is you, you you do have comics over the years that have asked like the bold question of like what would happen if the big two allowed time to progress normally and you, you have comics like spider-man life story and ultimately mm-hmm. uh, i mean there, there are things like ultimate spider-man but then again that's a that's an alternate universe thing so we'll we'll never know what it would be like if they actually allowed spider-man to age like say Spider-Man life story or mm-hmm. Invincible yeah. or so but sometimes, it's always interesting to think about mm. yeah well sometimes you get like a thing like Superman's allowed to have a kid allowed to mm. marry and have a son um, but again that's like once every blue moon um, you, you, more often than not these characters say roughly the same um, which is fine and I understand um, do I wish it was different yes but I understand that again these characters have to be around for my kids and my kids' kids, etc., etc., till the death of the universe, most likely. Um, but it is, again, nice that if my kids ever want to read comics, I can go, hey, you want to read something fun that has a beginning, the middle, and end? Here's a Giant Days, or here's a Walking Dead, or here's an Invincible, or here's a, um, a Department of Truth, or whatever. Um, and these are books that have a vision, um, like Sa- even Sandman, which is sort of DC, but not. <laughs> it's weird. Um, has a beginning, middle, and an end. 
and you go on a journey with the characters and the characters continue and you step off whereas with the more iconic ones you you don't uh, but the, the, i so while i am uh, like i say hesitant to leave these characters behind i know that's all way way ahead of me but another part of me can't wait to read more of their misadventures and see if how uh, there's certain things i think might happen that uh, i hope do happen and uh, we'll we'll see how we go um there's so much more in this book uh, that i have to discover oh yeah what was i what was i going to say that was oh yeah and it, on on a bit of a tangent it also creates an interesting sort of nostalgia cycle i guess is the word where you have the example i thought of was when Wally was killed off not Wally. Barry was killed off in the mid eighties of Crescent of the Earths, Wally took over and mm. then sort of he had like twenty or so years of Wally in the role and then when and then Barry comes back in the mid two thousands and then mm. now, these days, almost twenty years on, you end up with this sort of weird nostalgia cycle where they've sort of well, I was gonna say they've sort of both been around for that time, but of course the new fifty two, but point being is that I, I suppose when now I think about it, Barry's almost been back for the uh, must be close to the amount of time that he was dead at this point so yeah mm-hmm. it creates that my point being it creates that interesting cycle of there are, there are now like generations of people nowadays including myself with the, with the tv show that it, it came back around so that they ended up growing up on barry instead of wally so then you have yeah. that like split um fandom which it's just always a bit messy because because there'll be the people that sort of fell in love with wally during that gap and then people who grew up on Barry and and, and, and then the, the people that still reading comics that, that knew Barry before he died and it's just an, it's a really interesting generational divide for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, and you get that obviously much more with DC than Marvel. Marvel, mm, yeah. until, well, recently they, they don't really, and even now, they don't really go in for legacies as much as DC does. Uh, now and again, if there's like some like a Captain Marvel or so, yes. But um, large, by and large, in twenty years, Peter Spider-Man's probably still going to be Peter Parker. Um, and and my I know there's Miles as well, of course. But um, he will. There will be a Spider-Man comic with Peter Parker in it. In twenty years, will Barry still be the main Flash? I don't know. Uh, that that's that's an interesting. That's a kind of interesting thought. Um, I think it's one of those things that. It just depends what the you know we because we like you said we are getting to the generation now that grew up with Wally as the Flash, so that's probably why Wally is coming back to the forefront again. Um, but then you get um, in twenty years' time, you'll have the people that had Barry during the New Fifty Two, so it might be Barry's time again, and so it, it is that weird kind of. Sh- swap and change with the flash and you can kind of get away with it with, with a character like that um they even tried making um bart the flash for a little while i don't know if you yeah, heard know about that a bit yeah oh yeah it was <laughs> it was a time all right um but it, it's just it's just one of these crazy things that you just kind of don't really think about as a comic fan from day to day because you go insane otherwise yeah um but it, it is nice to know that these characters with it, I think with an indie book because with an indie book it's one voice it's it's primarily always one writer uh, you get some exceptions like um like where and like a spawn say where it's taken over by someone else because it's so big um 
But eventually, one person will run out of ideas, and they can keep the book going. But they, because it's successful, but they're going to outstay their welcome. It's better to go and be missed than stay and outstay your welcome. Where with with characters like Spider Man or Flash or Batman, if a character, if a writer runs out of ideas, they just get rid of them and get a new writer. Uh, you can't do that with Giant Days. So mm-hmm. even though I want, I want this issue, I want this comic to last like a million issues. I don't want to die states, but I don't want to go. Oh, Esther's uh, lost her homework again. Oh, it's the fiftieth time. You know, I I don't want it to get like that. So I, I'm I am grateful that there is like a conclusion to look forward to. Um, it's it's kind of like you you know the way TV shows now. You don't really get the TV shows now apart from soap operas that last like 10, 15 seasons really anymore you get very rare you get them sometimes but more often not they're like five six seasons at the most and then you, they tell a story and you the characters go on and you leave um comics are exactly the same yeah and it reminds me of what i heard a, a few days ago when well at the time of recording anyway that the simpsons was renewed there get yet again it's yeah renewed through 2025 or past the 800th episode Mark. Yeah, which is the same. Mm-hmm. What was it? It's like seasons like thirty. It's like it was like thirty six or thirty seven and that, that mm. sort of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, thirty thirty five and thirty six. Apparently, it's the longest running primetime scripted series in TV history. Just like in general, oh, yeah. not just animated, which is I know lots of people have lots of everyone has an opinion on that that loves the show, but. It is that, that that is something that is quite something. It's a, it's a it's a hell of an accomplishment. But but much like much like the Simpsons again, much like these iconic characters that go generation generation generation, they get different writers in. Yes. you know they, it's now the quality of the show uh, is debatable, and it usually very much is debated about how good the show is versus how it used to be. Um, but they have constantly got a new writers room. Um, new voices on the characters in terms of writing every season um, so the, the show is able to have that longevity because of that um, Matt Groening, it, it's not really Matt Groening's property anymore he still gets the big paychecks but it's it's not really his thing uh, he hasn't, I don't think he's really written an episode probably for, apart from the movie probably maybe about 20 years or more uh, whereas like something like say family guy is so dependent on seth mcfarlane that if he's like something is if, heaven forbid something happens to seth mcfarlane he's not family guy isn't going to continue it's it's going to be um you know obviously the as we're as we're recording now there's a lot of horrible stuff has come out uh about the creator of rick and morty just in Maryland. it's going to be very mm. Uh, and Adult Swim's like, yep, we can keep going. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that show survives without its creator. That has, um, and I, I do agree with the choice that Adult Swim's made. I'm just curious how the show is going to do without its main creative force behind it. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a tough one. And I mean, I, I remember looking up the different show runs for The Simpsons, and it's like seasons one and two, the only literally the seasons that had Matt Groening as showrunner and then for like from then on he's not even listed as the showrunner so yeah it, it's just it's wild how how it's sort of developed over the past like 30 years yeah yeah my brother my brother always says um whenever the simpsons started he was 10 and bart was 10 
and he's uh, forty-two in Barstool Ten. I haven't, I haven't watched it yet because I, well, so back back in like April twenty twenty, when Disney Plus first came to the UK, and something much less pleasant came to the UK and, and around the world. Yeah. Uh, I I just started watching The Simpsons just in like in chronological order, just yeah. episode by episode, and and I've not been doing it like too frequently, and like like somewhat frequently. But point being that I'm just just over twenty seasons in. And just like seeing it change over that time, and it, oh, yeah. it's, it's always interesting because, like, my, again, my, my my overall point being that I heard recently in one of the latest episodes of like Into the Thirties that they had a flashback episode to the nineties where like, oh, Homer was a teenager in the nineties, which is yeah, wild to think, wild to think about because they've now sort of like come sort of um cycles gone fully round that like, snake eating itself of now like Homer yeah. was a was a teenager at the time that it's sort of like over- overlapping and overriding and I don't know, it, it's a very like fluid, I mean you have to be after this this long. Yeah, I mean I read uh, the fourth Peter David Hulk omnibus um, just the other week, uh, well a couple of days ago I finished it and the president who you didn't see was calling his wife Hillary to get her opinion on what to do about the Hulk. And you, you just, again, as a comic fan, you can't think about stuff like that too hard. Otherwise, your brain goes a little bit mental trying to make sense of it all. Because you can't think about why there's, like, because of Marvel's um, condensed time, the condensed timeline, you can't think that there's, like, a Christmas every, like, three weeks. <laughs> you just, it, it's just you, just, you just have to go with it. Um, thankfully, in thing in indie books, that's not a problem because it's all kind of one vision, you know. And and that's the that's the beautiful that's the beautiful thing about independent comics. Um, again, there is some exceptions here and there. Um, but even like say Savage Dragon, uh, which I've never read, um, which has been going now for must be one hundred fifty issues or so, maybe more. Um, Eric Larson's drawn and written every issue, and he has the character is aging in real time. And that's that's a really cool thing to do that you can't do with mainstream comic characters. Even even Kirkman on on Invincible got like did a bunch of flash forwards where Mark we went like thousands of years into the future to see what Mark and Eve were up to. Mm. And I mean, Saga is an is an interesting one because I read the first half in the compendium, which just had all fifty four issues, and it was. Reading it like that, just straight through, it wasn't something I noticed. I remember when it was pointed out to me that, well, not me specifically, but when I heard that, oh yeah, time passes in real time, roughly. So, like, hiatuses between issues are reflected in the story. So, like, when it came back after the almost three year hiatus, three years have passed in the story, and when it came back this week, as of recording, um, It'd been like six months in story since we left off, which is also more or less how long it's been in the real world. So that that's a fun way to sort of show the characters and allow them to progress and change and etc. Yeah, I mean, I never got into Saga, but it, it is cool. The the creators, I mean, and I, I never tried to be honest. Uh, I heard people talking about it. it. Just seems like I'm a very hot to cold on Brian K. Vaughan. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, I know it's a book that everyone loves, and it's such a big success. It is one of Image's big success stories. Um, Sorry. Um, but 
I I get that the appeal of that of like the comic kind of ages with you, but it doesn't affect people who come to it later either. Well, exactly, which makes it interesting about when I read it in Compendium and I didn't really notice, but I guess just just allows the characters to grow more. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's it. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, we're we're both at this. Uh, going back to Giant Days, we're both at the kind of same spots. Um, I'm assuming you're going to be reading the rest of this through trades. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that whenever all the hardcovers arrive, I might just read the whole thing. Um, just from start to end. Um, I don't think once I start, I'll be able to stop. Um, yeah, I get that. And, and I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm I'm also looking forward to checking out the the spinoff mini about like there's a private eye that shows up at one point, which is exactly my jam. Uh, by the uh, same creative team. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much to look forward to, and I think that you know, uh, as we continue to progress f- through it, I mean, we're already big fans of the series, so everything on everything else on top of this is just gravy at this point. Mm. So I don't know if you've um I I've got the the, the series and the, all the covers in, in front of me on on the window on I can the, 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 the comic geeks. But mm-hmm. are there any particular in the first twenty four issues that are sort of your favorite covers or any that stand well, out? I think that first issue is covers pretty iconic with yeah. the, the yellow with Esther. I love the um. The one with like the film, the film set with her in the dress. Yes, I love the one with Susan uh, and Hamlet. Um, what else? Let's have a look here. I love the one where Esther's kind of floating away, and the other two are trying to stop her. Um, there's so many great covers. Um, the one of Susan getting ready to go out like for her date is pretty funny. Um. The one of Daisy, uh, I think it's is it Susan or Daisy? Susan looking at the window is very cool. The one of them in the the lineup, especially like the little detail, yes. of Daisy crying is just hilarious. And Esther, and Susan just doesn't give a toss, but Esther's like, "What's going on? How did I get here?" Um, and of course, how like like there's just so many little details. It's just so fun yeah. in terms of the visual like storytelling. How much is contained within that one image where. As you yeah. say, like Susan's just sort of off to the side, and like Esther's just like look, sort of not maybe bemused, but sort of just looking down at it. And you said Daisy crying, and it's like she's got it upside down. Yeah, and it's obviously it's like a, a different like postures and clothing, and it's just so much that communicates about them as characters in one cover. Yeah, sorry, yeah. No, no, you're right. You're right. No, it's it, it's 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 so great. It's just it's 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 a very special series. Mm. And it's hard to convey that to someone who's never read it. All, all I can say is, I mean, you might read it and go, "I don't get it. I don't, I don't see what the big deal is, or whatever." That that that's fine, obviously. But it's 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 just so hard to convey. One, there's some special sauce in here, um, and I think that th- this is a this is a comic that I wish I had come up. with. This is a comic that I enjoy so much. I wish I had come up with it. This is exactly my jam. Um, female leads, comedy, slice of life, lots of talking. It's all me. <laughs> um, but it's, it's just so wonderful. Um, I, I just love it to death. Yeah. So I think first of all, about the covers, as we sort of touched on, I love how like striking and vibrant they all are, but they have that solid color background, which is, 
like immediately vibrant and how the characters and their different like poses like stands out mm. against that whether that's just uh like like of the, the the microphone that's that's a fun one or like susan with like listening to the music or the one with the baby where they're all just like looking at it or yeah and and yet how they're there are some that are more like simplistic and others more complicated like you mentioned the hamlet one or i, I quite like the ones sort of towards the end of the portion we've read so far and that's just the second half of, as you said, the one with the drama, the the one where the, like they're looking for a house, they got their all their faces on keys. That's a fun one. The I, I feel like yeah, like like nineteen, twenty, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three. That whole set with you got them at the festival. There's one. There's like a parody of like IKEA instructions, flat pack. Mm-hmm. There's like Susan in like a noir, and um, which is very fun. Yeah, I thought that one was very cool. Either. I love like the one where um it's got it's just like a flower with uh, Daisy. Uh, it's, well, it's a Daisy with Daisy's face on the like yellow bit, and there's like a petal that's just being like picked off. It's just very symbolic and just like so simple. It, it's just like instantly recognizable and like yeah, no, none of them are bland or like, dull. They're just all so like vibrant and striking and energetic and yeah, and they really catch the eye. Like again, that yeah, definitely. the colors on the backgrounds really pop. Like so many covers are like kind of grayish backgrounds or s- sort of landscapes or fights or or whatever. This is uh these are covers that really really come to life. Um, like and so if you're like standing in front of a comic wall at a comic book store, they stand out, and that is very important. These are small things that are very important. Especially when you're trying to stand out among like the Spider Mans and the Batmans and the whatevers that everybody knows that you're looking at this book is like what's a giant days? <laughs> what what's so giant about it? Um, I don't want my days to be giant. I want to go to bed. Um, uh, it's just you know, it's just it's just you know, it, it, I don't know really how much comic work. Obviously, Allison did a lot of his own comics. His his um i don't know if it's collected in the paperback trades but in the hardcovers they collect some of the er like the early giant days stories that he wrote andrew yeah and I, I, I don't know I, I haven't read them myself but i know of them yeah they're they're a lot of fun but they're a lot quirkier than even this like they are about how the girls met and there's a whole thing where um some kind of popular girls try to recruit Esther because she's an attractive young woman. They want her in. She's like, stay away from me. And they are horrible to Daisy. And Daisy is kind of like, because uh, Daisy's all into her yoga and her Zen is like attacking them. And she's like floating because she can do yoga. And it's like, what is going on? What is going on here? Um, so I think that was, that stuff was collected as like a separate trade. Like, um, like the, pre-college years or whatever yeah that sounds about right um so i don't but allison just uh, takes like it's comics like, to like a, a duck to water early registration apparently but that's the one yeah mm-hmm. i'm just gonna look up to see what else he's written um i but i not an official sponsor for uh but it should be uh all sponsors should sponsor joe's co- joe's podcast Thank you. um but this you're welcome uh <laughs> this Comic Geeks' app is so handy. Um, I remember diving into his work when I saw that looking at it before when I was looking about um, his work when I was looking about Giant Days and mm-hmm. I feel like I just said that already. Yeah, there's also work on his 
like I think it's a site, Scary Go Round, where he's posted lots of like yeah. things about the two thousands and like, like he wrote bad, civil, bad machinery. Civil bad machine steeple is the one he's writing and drawing for Dark Horse, which probably explains why Aye. he's doing the the Dark Horse uh, murder mini with Aye, that with, fun. with Max. Yeah, that looks great. And adds um, to wish list. Yeah, definitely. I'm 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 looking forward to that one. Um. I, I just, he just seems to be talented. I mean, but he just doesn't seem to have any interest in working for the big two, which is fair enough. Um, I think that if he can, like, sort of like Ed Brubaker at the at the moment, if he can avoid it, he should. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, that sometimes can lead to a lot of misery. And obviously these these, these trades at least will, uh, the, 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 the Kickstarter was ridiculously successful. It was so way over what they wanted uh which is great because it's going to get more giant days and more hands um but he doesn't seem to be in the position where he has to really answer to anyone which is which is good um i am kind of curious you sort of mentioned about you know that i wonder if someday they might he might go back to these characters and revisit them like in 10 years or 15 years or so and see where they all are um that, that's not impossible to do um you see you see kind of creators doing that with uh indie work all the time they come they leave a series and then they come back to England here what what are the characters up to these days um oh, I there were, sorry yeah because there was like a couple of like one shot there in the series, I feel like that there was, yeah. Was it like, uh, yeah? It was like as time goes by, like, I think that wraps up the the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was, yeah, that's like seven ninety nine when it came out. It's yeah. probably oversized. Yeah, the, yeah, the series finale. Mm-hmm. Must be like graduation and probably the epilogue of the book, and you figure out what you see wherever everyone goes to. Do you have any bold predictions for the rest of the series? I'm not sure. I, that was going to be one of the last my last question. I don't. I'm not sure. I think I. I don't know. I. I don't know anything. No. I, get, I, I, I don't. I don't have I, any particular bold uh, expectations or predictions for where it's going to go. I'm just happy to enjoy the ride. Yeah. yeah. Same here. Hard same. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I can guess that Susan will probably end up with. Her boyfriend, uh, whose name escapes me, McGruff, McGuff, McGraw, something like that. McGraw. Um, they've just broken up in the last trade or last hardcover, which will probably be the fifth or sixth trade. Mm. Um, yeah. But I'm Graham sure McGraw. McGraw. I'm sure they'll get back together by the end of the book. Um, I otherwise I'm not too sure. I would like to think that. Esther and Ed get together, but that seems to be kind of just wishful thinking that the nerd gets the the really hot girl. <laughs> Life doesn't unfortunately work like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting seeing the progression of Esther over the series and so far, and sort of seeing her character. And yeah, because they they are all quite unique as we've sort of talked about over the past hour and a half. They they are all like unique and compelling characters. So. And seeing how they get involved in the romantic uh, exploits and situations, and sort of different states of, I guess maybe not not emotional maturity, but they're just sort of, they're just like different people, um, personality-wise in, in that sense. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah, 
do you think we might ever see like an adaption? Well, that's the thing that's interesting because oh yeah, yeah, that, that was the one thing that I, I that did cross my mind earlier, but I forgot to bring up is that when you said about how it compared to Big Two comics in terms of just being able to just pick up uh, just like stories anywhere, because for the most part you can most of the stories are standalone. There are some which carry over and are more plot heavy, and some which are there, are there are of course lots of like lots of overarching plots and things, but it, it does have a very like sitcom-y kind of feel to it. So it would be interesting because it's something it's something that maybe more than lots of comics like lends itself already sort of tailor made for. Uh, of course, they're very different mediums, but in terms of the like it's already got that sort of sitcom format, like I've sort of kept saying that it, it would yeah. be interesting. I think it could work. I, I I almost wonder if they could go the route of Invincible, because I do think that it would be a shame. Again, such a big aspect of what makes this work is the art, and it, it would yeah. be a shame to lose that. Uh, and I think Invincible, the Amazon series, has done an incredible, incredible job. Um, with an animated adaptation, um, and that I think would give a lot more flexibility of the casting. Obviously, there's no shortage of young, talented British actresses that could play these three. But if it was an animated show, you could get some really great actors in that doesn't they don't have to be the right age necessarily. Yeah, and so yeah, I think that there's just a couple of last points I wanted to mention is that I touched on earlier the idea that the trades only connect four issues. But I always felt like I'm getting my money's worth. And I remember it sort of ties into the idea of each issue being self-contained, where I felt volume four in particular from issues like 13 to 16 was just absolutely packed. Each issue felt like it had so much in when they were like, uh, there was just lots of drama with that, like uh, their characters, their lives, their studies and uh, trying to get. Mm-hmm. It, it, was of, it was of a nice mix where there was one issue that was maybe character drama focused and then in the next issue there, they're looking for a house. And then the next issue you got Esther with like the film festival, and and then uh, of course everything with, like dating and just sort of everything touched on. It feels like that was one of the most packed volumes that I've read so far, volume volume four. And then, but uh, again, still just every issue is just so packed and yeah, but yeah. never feels overwhelming. I don't think. Mm. Oh yeah, and also when you when you were looking at John Allison's other work. And that steeple came up. I noticed that he also has lettering by Jim Campbell, who did the lettering on Giant Days, and so mm-hmm. that that is interesting to see because uh, again, like with like with all comics, the letters are often unfortunately underappreciated, and but they Absolutely. are they are such a massive part of like what makes it work. And it's always interesting seeing the I don't know if overlap is the right word, but I suppose it might be in terms of like sound effects versus. Because like, sometimes sound effects are like, drawn into the art, and sometimes they're part of the lettering, part of the dialogue. So yeah, it's all very cool to see and how it's implemented onto the page and creates the whole experience. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, you do see like like if 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 a writer finds a letter they really like, they do tend to kind of take them around. Like Jeff Loeb usually works with Richard Starkings. Um, Neil Gaiman usually works with. Todd Klein, uh, Todd Klein usually letters everything related to Vertigo or Black, um, well, no, not not Black Label, but and it, what used to be called Vertigo and is now called Black Label uh, was Todd Klein. Um, so you, you do see these these kind of names sort of follow certain creators, uh, and then of course if you get uh, a creative team that mesh well, you get 
um, like who is an artist sticking together, like Allison and um, Saren uh, seem to be working to seem to be tethered to each other now, which is great. Which is great because again, that they seem to bound. They seem to work very well together. Yeah, exactly. So very excited for the new series. When that must be like April. April, so, yes, it was. It was so just April. that's. Yeah. I'm, I'm imagining that's that's probably either in, either in progress or it's coming out or it has come out by the time um, this episode. Really. I would be very. So, yeah, yeah, I'd be surprised if Saren's not already nearly done. I don't think there was ever any like production or speed issues with Giant Days when it was coming out monthly. Yeah, I, I, I was I was just sort of talking more about when this episode releases. I'm not quite sure. Oh, we're in the future. Yeah, I'm not quite sure when I'm going to put out. I'm sort of at that point where I'll just like just recording some episodes about comics I want to talk about, and then I'll work out whether where I want to schedule them later. Yeah, no worries. That's cool. I'll be free whenever. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, have you got anything else to talk about about this section of the comic almost halfway through? Anything else to say? Uh, no, it's just brilliant, and everyone should read it. Yeah, and maybe once the hardcovers have come up for you, and once I finish the series and trades, we can do the the back half and yeah. talk all about the, the finale, and it'd be great to have you back on for that, if you're... Yeah, I'd be more than happy to come back always. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Cool, so before we wrap up, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter at Glenn with two N's underscore Matchett, uh, with my at my blog at Glenn's Grumblings, or on my own podcast, uh, which are where I talk about a lot of comics, um, films and TVs and other stuff with uh, my two uh, great friends Brandon James and Ray Goldfield. Uh, Rabbit Stew Comics every week. We're coming up on episode four hundred. Yeah, again, incredible achievement. I can't even imagine. Thank you. It's just, it must have been year. It must be years. Um, well, this is the second version of the show, right. so we did we did a hundred episodes and then we stopped for a long time. So we're actually closer to five hundred overall. Um, but yeah, we've been doing this eight or nine years or so. Wow. Yeah, because it's literally the same format every week, which is like incredibly satisfying and soothing in a way, because it's all very oh, familiar and very just yeah. nice to just tune in and I don't know just a nice weekly. We've been talking about who we want to because we uh starting up two hundred we had where we had Kelly Thompson which I know you recently had on your show I um we started to get comic creators as a guest segment for every fiftieth episode so we've been talking about who we want to get for four hundred um I don't want to announce it here because I don't know if again when this will be coming out but uh, I'll tell you more after we're done cool 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 so. Yeah, I, I think that's about it for this episode. Just, yeah, thank you for coming back on and thank you everyone for listening. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on this episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show five stars wherever you're listening. I would really appreciate it. If you want to keep up to date on new episodes, please subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments or suggestions, you can email the show at joetalkscomics.gmail.com. Additionally, if you need any back issues, ratio variants, core variants, or just anything in general, cool stuff to do with comics, you can check out the website for Beaders Thingamajiggets, the comic book store in Fort Collins, Colorado, that most of these comics worked at. And use Joe Loves Comics at checkout to get 15% off. I don't get any money for that. It's just a cool thing for you to use if you want to yeah, check out their site and if you see anything that you like. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Joe Talks Comics. 
and finally you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jared Comics, where we can continue talking comics. That's all for now, and I hope to see you next time. Bye!